Let's, let's take our Bibles and let's go ahead and turn to 1 Thessalonians. Uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians and we'll, we'll begin in chapter 4 here. We're going to kind of look a little more on what we talked about today. But um, good to have my wife here. Pastor already mentioned it, sitting right over here. Next to her is my daughter, and many of you obviously know Angel and Allie, but uh, we're related, and uh, we're glad to be here with them, too. Um, now, um, that video on Ivory Coast is, is really ex inspiring to me. Uh, as a matter of fact, Becky was in uh, Liberia, which is right by the Ivory Coast, with me. Uh, we were there in 2018, and that's actually where she got sick. Uh, but we have seen those kind of things, and we've seen schools go up. Uh, as a matter of fact, today, there was a school that just went up in Liberia, and that school uh, is going to start very soon with 200 children that will hear about Jesus. And it cost 15000 American dollars for a school with 200 students. Isn't that amazing? And uh, they've got five bathrooms, I guess. And that is an amazing thing. So the, the pastor sent me a video today of the kids actually having Sunday school in that building. And so what you're doing is touching real lives of real children. And if you want to see the video of the kids learning John 3.16 and Romans 3.23, I've got it. Well, I don't have it in my pocket. It's right over here on my cell phone. I'd be glad to show you. But that's a wonderful thing that they're doing in the Ivory Coast. All right, let's take our Bibles now and let's stand together, if you don't mind, out of respect for the Lord and His Word. Uh, very excited again to see my family, very proud of my daughter, what she's doing uh, in, the in the church over there, the Spanish church. Great piano player, great support for Angel. But this guy, Angel, is doing an outstanding job as a father, as a dad, as a husband, and an amazing job as a pastor of the Spanish church. So very, very thankful for his service for, for God. All right, uh, let's go ahead and begin reading at um, kind of carrying on from this morning. Let's go ahead and read uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and beginning at verse 16. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians 4 beginning at verse 16. For the Lord himself shall, not might, not maybe, but definitely, descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall, not might, not maybe, but definitely, rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall definitely be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words." Heavenly Father, we do pray that you'll lead here in this message tonight, and we ask you, Lord, to use it to stir us to faithfulness. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. Well, as I mentioned this morning, we talked a lot about the Lord's return, how it is um, um, a promise. He said he's going to come again, and uh, there are two phases. There's the rapture, and then there is the revelation. There's a tribulation period in there. And, um, and all that God is doing in preparing us for this time. I think we need to do everything we can to slow down these things, if we can, to slow down the one world government, slow down uh, all of this agenda and all with our voting 
and we are supposed to be good citizens, but eventually God is going to bring things around to where these events take place, and he's setting the stage, and it's okay. And no matter how crazy it gets, it's okay. Why? Because God put us here on earth at this time, so evidently we can do what we need to do while we're here. And so it's a privilege to be part of these times. Now, as we look at this so this evening, I have some thoughts that I want to take us through as we continue talking about Jesus Christ and his return. Now, the first thing that I want to remind us about is that what we said this morning is true. The rapture of the church is going to come before the tribulation. So we're going to talk about the coming of Christ first. Now, the coming of Christ first, because there are some people that are starting to teach that we are going to go through part of the tribulation. And I do not believe that. I will not say that they're on the way to hell if they believe that we're going to go through part of the tribulation period. I just think they're wrong. And I'll tell you why I think they're wrong. Now, the first reason is he says right here that when the Lord appears that we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And then he adds these words in verse 18, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Now, would God say there's going to be a tribulation period where there's going to be a hell on earth, all horrible things are going to come and explain them in the book of Revelation. And after describing all of the horrible events that will take place, then say, wherefore comfort one another with these words. No, the reason he is saying be comforted is because if you have come to Jesus, you're not going to go through the tribulation period. Praise God for that. But there are other passages that we need to know what we believe, and not because we want to win an argument, but because God put it here to motivate people to get saved so they don't go through the tribulation period. Now, if we go to people and say, you know what, Jesus is coming soon, but even if you get saved, sorry, you're going to go through the tribulation period. Well, there's not a lot of motivation to get saved before he comes. But it's not only a, get, a bad motivation to say, well, you're going to go through the tribulation period anyway. It's not biblical. And that's the more important issue. Now, let's take our Bibles and be reminded of some doctrines. Take your Bibles and go over to First Thessalonians, Second uh, Thessalonians now, in the second epistle that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. And we're going to look at chapter 2. So he says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that is the rapture, our gathering to meet the Lord in the air, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, don't get all upset, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us. Even if you get a letter from me, that is supposedly from me with my signature, and it's faked or forged as the day of Christ is at hand. The day of Christ is the tribulation judgments, and God is saying, Paul is saying, even if you get a letter saying that you're going to go through this, you're not going to go through it. Don't believe it. And then he says in verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except their coming falling away first that the man of sin, the Antichrist, be revealed, the son of perdition, 
who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, that is worship, that he is God, sitteth on the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember you not that when I was with you, I told you these things. So Paul wanted his people back then to know they're not going to go through the tribulation, and he actually preached prophecies to them. So prophecy has always been an important part of the church. It's important for us to be motivated to action, not just scoff these things. Blasphemy can scoff, but also ignoring these doctrines where they do not affect us is the same. It is scoffing, but in a different way. So we want to be affected by it as they were to be affected by it is what Paul is saying. So he taught these things. Now, verse 6, And know ye, now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. That's all the work that God's doing to bring along the end days. He's been working on it for 2,000 years. So if we see this, another pandemic, that's God working the working of the mystery of iniquity to bring about the end days. If we see Davos movement and things like that, stepping up and seemingly succeeding. If we see climate change, that's all part of it too. He shall send a strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned. It will receive not the truth, but in pleasure and righteousness. And when there are all the tribulation judgments, the sea and the waves roaring, the stars falling into the earth, the temperature getting so hot, people get scorched with fire, and then getting so cold that people get frostbite. A simple explanation has been working and developing, and God's been blessing that climate change. If we would have listened, then we'd never be in this condition. And there's an explanation that people will believe. And so all of this has been working. But get this in verse 7. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now, in the Elizabethan language, the King James Version, sometimes when something is read, it means the opposite of what we know it to mean. And this is one of those instances where the word let is not meaning let, but it actually means restraints. So the one that is restraining moral decay will continue to restrain moral decay until they be taken out of the way, and that is the Holy Spirit. Now, who does the Holy Spirit live in? You and in me. So as long as I'm here, he's going to be here because he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake me. And so as long as I'm here and as long as you're here, he told you he would never leave you nor forsake you, then, then the Antichrist and the tribulation period will not take place. And the only time that we'll be taken out of here will be at the rapture, our gathering together unto him. So when we teach that you will not go through the tribulation period, it is true. We will not go through the tribulation period. Now look back at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and you'll see it just nailed down a little bit more, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now this is not saying be lazy. This is not saying relax. Now you know you're not going to go through the tribulation period. It is telling us don't go crazy. You will not go through this tribulation period but be earnest about the unsaved that are around you and labor for the night comes when no man can work. And so be diligent, knowing that these things are coming, but 
we will definitely be delivered. So we comfort one another with these words. Now, notice what he says in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, again, about us not going through mid-trib, not going through the end. We're going to be taken out. But at the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, tribulation, judgments, and then the millennial kingdom, so cometh as a thief in the night. Now, notice the pronoun in verse 3 and 4, and then 5 and following. Verse 3, for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon who? Them as travail upon a woman with child, and who? They shall not escape. But then it says, in contrast, verse 4, but ye, now talking to the brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. It's not going to happen to you. Ye, he says in verse 5, are children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. And so then he adds in verse 9, God hath not appointed us to wrath. Now that wrath is specifically tied to the rapture of the church comes. Then the wrath is specifically tied to the day of the Lord, which is the tribulation period. Now, some people with their mid-trib theology, though we don't hate them, they're just wrong. They will say, well, the wrath is talking about the wrath of hell. Now, haven't we always said that you've got to look at something in the context that you read? The context is not talking about hell. It is talking about the day of the Lord. And so here's what he says. God has not appointed you, brethren, to go through the day of the Lord tribulation. Those people will go through it, the children of the night. Now, we don't want them to go through it. We don't want them to suffer through it. And that's why we talked about that this morning, and we need to be motivated by it. Now, listen. I know that I know that I know that I will never burn one second in a lake of fire. Amen for that? And why? Not because we're so awesome, but because we've been saved by Jesus, right? Now, how many of you know that you know that you know that you're never going to burn in the lake of fire for one second? Amen? But how many of you don't want anybody else to go burn in the lake of fire? Now, because... We know that we're not going to go through the tribulation period. That doesn't mean that, okay, we can sit back and relax. It is just as intense to me, in fact, even more intense, because I know how near we are to the Lord's return, that we do what we can with all that we can to get people to Jesus Christ. Because the night comes when we will be taken up, and then the day of the Lord will come as a thief on the night on the world that has been left behind. So God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus, verse 10, who died for us, that whether we wake, we're awake when he comes, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 19, uh, uh, 16 and 17 and 18, whether we are awake at the time that he comes or sleep, the dead in Christ, we should live together with him. And then he adds in verse 11, wherefore comfort one another with these words. There he says it again, because you're not going to go through the tribulation period. 
So we will not go through it, and we will have a good reason to praise God. Now, anybody in this room who is not going to be in hell a hundred years from now has Christ to thank for it. And therefore has a debt to live for Christ. And then anybody in this room who has put their faith in Christ and has been saved will be raptured out before this hits the planet, the tribulation period, and we will all go together. We will be there in the cloud together. And we will not go through the tribulation period, and we will have Jesus Christ to thank for it. And we have a debt to pay not only to Jesus, but the Apostle Paul said that he is a debtor to all men. Now, when you have a knowledge of something, you've got a responsibility for that. And we've gotten a knowledge that most of the world does not have. Not because we're smart, but because somebody taught it to us. Praise God. But we have a debt to them that we stand between the living and the dead. We stand between the living and the tribulation. And we have a debt that we need to pay. And that we've been given so much and we owe so much to Christ and we need to be so concerned about the people. Now, the first thing that I want to draw attention to is the coming of Christ. It's going to happen. We will be raptured before the tribulation, and we can be comforted with that. Now, the second thing I want to look at is the condemnation, though, of sinners. Now, we talk about being motivated by knowledge that people are going to go to hell, and we need to be motivated by knowledge that if we are raptured within the next year, likely, in the next seven years, there will be the tribulation judgments. Now, when you consider that this could be in the next decade, when you consider it could be within 100 years, but when we consider it is likely very near, it is a motivation to action. Now, notice what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 3. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Now, God compares the tribulation period to a woman in labor pains. Now, travail upon a woman. Now, I've never had a baby, but I have seen three babies born. They call me dad. And though I've never had a baby, I think I have a pretty good idea what labor pains are like. I think there are three phases. Now, how many of you ladies have ever had a baby before? Would you raise your hand? Okay, I'm going to describe the labor pains, and you tell me if I'm pretty good at it, okay? I think there are three phases. Phase number one to the labor pains. They start bad. How am I doing? Phase number two, they get worse. And then phase number three, they end unbearable, and that's when you want to kill your husband. Now, God says these labor pains are as a woman in travail, and they start bad in the tribulation with seven seals. They get worse with seven trumpets and end unbearable with seven bold judgments. We're going to skim through them. We won't be able to hit them all, but it'll be an exciting ride. All right, take your Bibles to Revelation chapter 6, where the beginning of the labor pains And when we understand that people are going to go to hell, that's a burden to us. And when we understand that the very people that live next door to us and work with us may be honestly facing these things. 
a theology in our head is not going to do anything. It's got to be a theology that we live and that it affects us that we don't scoff and that we do not ignore. And when we understand what they will go through and we get it in our head and in our heart that this is reality and this is what the world is facing or our Bible is a myth and it is not a myth, then we are motivated to faithfulness on these things. Now, while we look at Revelation 6 and following, God does this with seven seals, seven trumpets, then seven bulls. Now, I'm going to give a little explanation so you know a little bit how to follow it. Imagine first in a cartoon mode, maybe, because you can do anything with a cartoon. Picture a book, maybe, that has seven chapters. And each chapter is sealed shut with some kind of a seal. And the Lamb of God, Jesus, comes and breaks that seal, opens that chapter, reads the judgment, and the judgment comes on the earth. Then the second and the judgment. Then the third chapter seal and the judgment. And then finally, when he opens the seventh seal, when that opens in our cartoon, out shoot seven trumpets. <laughs> the seven trumpets are the seventh seal. Now then, each trumpet is blown, and out of the bell comes a judgment on the earth. And when the seventh trumpet is blown, imagine in our cartoon, out of that trumpet bell comes seven bowls. And the angels hold the bowls cupped up in their hands. And God says, angel number one, pour out your wrath on a world that has rejected my son. And he pours out the bowl and the wrath comes down. And that is how it unfolds. Now, with this in mind, it starts bad with the seven seals. All right, let's look at Revelation chapter 6 and verse 1. Uh, verse 2. The first seal is open in verse 2, and this is the beginning where the Antichrist becomes the one world dictator. Now, he has already signed a peace treaty, Daniel chapter 9, and it is for seven years. And that signing is the beginning of the peace of the seven-year tribulation. But the Antichrist is soon put up as a one world dictator. And I saw him the old white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now the Antichrist becomes a one world dictator because the world has so much chaos going on, and they say, well, you can solve the problems, you can do it. And with the pandemic, and with all of the sicknesses that they're trying to bring up again, and with all of the world financial problems with the inflation, things are getting set for the people in this world to look for one person who can solve it all. And as we move toward a one world government for the name of solving it all, then, then the Antichrist will be put up as the one world dictator. He will be given that position. Now, he will promise peace and safety, but it'll be a short peace when, number two, there will be a world war. All right, look at verse 4. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. So there's going to be a world war across the entire world. There will be bombs dropping in the United States of America. And there will not be one place where you can get away from this world war. Now, as a result of world war, you will see a world famine. 
I want you to notice verse 6, when the third seal is open, and I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, a measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny. See, thou hurt not the oil in the wine. Now, what is that jargon, a measure of wheat for a penny? In Bible days, a penny was a day's wage, but you could buy with that eight measures of wheat. When this seal is open, you can only buy one. Now, if you used to buy eight, and now you can only buy one for that same amount of money, what is that? That's inflation. How much inflation? 800% inflation. Application. Let's say that you bought groceries and you paid $100 to feed your family. When this seal is open, it goes up 800% in a week. And you would have to pay $800 to put those same groceries in your refrigerator. Now, how many of you could survive very long with an $800 a week grocery bill? Now, when there's war, there is inflation, as we've seen with Russia and the Ukraine. And when they are talking about famine because of one country like Russia having a war, then what about a whole, whole entire world having a war? And we're seeing these shadows of these events prophesied. Now, then there'll be in the fourth seal, there'll be more death as one-fourth of planet Earth dies in the night, and the world will be covered with decayed carcasses, and they will not be able to bury 1.5 billion bodies in a week. So the whole world is going to smell like decayed carcasses. This is what is coming. I believe in hell, and I believe people are going there and I want to do all I can to keep them from going there. I believe that this is coming for the earth, and I want to do all that I can to keep people from going through it. Amen. Now then, there's more death as the fist seal is opened. When martyrs are slain for their faith, those who get saved after the tribulation, and it will not be anybody who has a chance now because the Bible tells us that they won't have a chance later because they've got a chance now, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But then the sixth seal is open in verse 12. Let's read that. And I beheld when he opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of air, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. Now, don't make this up. How many of you ever have heard of scientists talking about how stars are lined up to hit our planet. Have any of you heard any of that? Okay, look around, hold them up for just a moment. Maybe others can see I'm not the only one. Now, do you know I was sitting in a dentist office and I picked up a um, National Geographic magazine and on the front cover it said, scientists have charted over 500 large meteors that they expect are lined up to hit our planet within the next 26 years. Now, 26 years is not all that long. Do you agree? And one of the very first things in the tribulation period, stars are going to hit the planet, and it will be an amazing destruction when that happens. Now, these are the first six, but then we move to the seventh seal, and that is in Revelation 9. I told you we're going to skim through them. We won't be able to get them all, but Revelation chapter 8, excuse me, and verse 1. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there it is, there was silence in heaven about the space of a half an hour. So here's the seventh seal. The first six were in Revelation 6. The seventh is in Revelation 8. 
Now, when this opens, out of the seven seals shoot seven trumpets. Angels play them and the judgments fall on the world because of their rejection of Jesus Christ and Israel, by the way. But I want you to notice Revelation 8 and verse 7. The first angel sounded his trumpet. There followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and a third part of the trees was burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. It's going to rain fire, and it's going to rain hail, and it's going to rain blood. Now, a third of all the trees will be burned up. They won't have time to grow back. A third of all the grass will be burned up. Perhaps that grass can grow back but the oxygen level is going to be decreased significantly as a third of all trees on this planet are burnt up. And then it is going to rain blood. Now, how many have ever heard a child scream in a thunderstorm? I imagine a child being in the backyard, and in the backyard he feels a drop of rain. He thinks, oh, it's raining. And then he looks on his hand, and he sees drops of blood on his hand, and he thinks, ooh, did I cut myself? And then he looks down again and more drops are coming and he feels his head, no. And then he looks up and he sees that the sky is literally raining blood. Now, if you've heard children scream in a thunderstorm, how do you think children are going to scream when the sky rains blood? Now, somebody says that can never happen. All God had to do was say, let there be rain in Noah's day and it came and all God will have to do They say, let it rain blood, and it'll rain blood. Now, this is what God prophesied, and he's never backed down on one prophecy. He said it, and it will happen, and then it will drive people to an insane, to an insanity. Now, the third trumpet is blown in verse 10, when God sends wormwood, and there are many people dying from the wormwood. The fourth trumpet is found in verse 12. Let's read it. And the fourth angel sounded, and a third part of the sun was smitten, a third part of the moon, a third part of the stars. So as a third part of them was dark, and the day shone not a third part of it, and the night likewise. Now there are 24 hours in every day. 24 divided by 3 is 8. So for 8 hours of every day, 8 hours, when it is supposed to be light, it will be dark instead of light. And I personally believe that people will not get light from a flashlight. Personally believe they will not get light from a fire. Eight hours a day, pitch dark, that you will not even see your hand in front of your face. Now, why is God going to make it pitch dark eight hours of every day? My opinion, just my opinion, I believe that the fourth and the fifth trumpet go together. All right, look at Revelation 9 and verse 1. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. He opened the bottomless pit, and watch. There rose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace. Get it. The sun and air were what? Darkened. How? By reason of the smoke of the pit. So God sends an angel And he opens up the bottomless pit, or hell. And when he does, as hell is fire, smoke bellows out from the place of hell. Now, if he opens one place, two places, it doesn't say. The angel comes, and all it says is he opens the bottomless pit. Now, perhaps across this planet, or perhaps in one place. 
so much smoke bellows out of hell that it is so thick that you cannot see anything because of the thick darkness from the smoke. That's what darkens it according to the Bible. Now, if the smoke is that thick, just imagine what it would be like to breathe. Now, for every one who's ever been in a very smoky building, you might understand that smoke can affect your breathing. So for eight hours of every day, it's so thick that as you try to breathe, you get... <coughs> and for eight hours of every day, struggling for each breath. But then what comes out of the bottomless pit is frightening. Notice in verse 3, there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. Unto them was given power as scorpions of the earth have power. The bottomless pit is going to vomit up demonic beasts. And notice that they are called locusts, and usually locusts will eat people, but not the uh, uh, vegetation, but not these. You know what they're going to eat? People. People. Notice what it says in verse 4. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth like a normal locust, nor any green thing like normal locusts would eat, neither any tree like locusts normally eat, but only those men which have not the seal of God on their foreheads. To them it was given that they should not kill them. They're not going to kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. How long? Five months. And they're tormented. That's a long time. Can you imagine five months, eight hours a day? <laughs> and then in the darkness, demonic beasts come up. And these demonic beasts have a tail of a scorpion. They sting you. And the pain is the pain of a scorpion sting for five months. Now it says they feed on you. They are described in the following verses in verse 6 through 10. Face of a man, hair like a woman, teeth like a lion, iron chest, tail like a scorpion, and they latch on to people in the tribulation period and they sting them. And the pain is the pain of a scorpion sting and they latch on and they don't let go for five months. For five months moving around, feeding here, feeding there, and as their teeth sink into the flesh, the pain of the biting and the stinging, prophesied. Now, think of that. And in this, I can imagine eight hours of every day so dark you cannot see your hand in front of the face, and then all of a sudden you hear these wings. You know it's one of these demonic beasts you've heard about. You can't see them, but they can smell you. So you turn and you run to get away and the wings get faster. And out of the darkness you hear, they latch on, sting you, bite you, and they do not let go for five months. Now then the seventh, the sixth trumpet is blown in Revelation chapter 9, 13 through 19, where 200,000, thousands, two million demonic beasts come, and they have a face that shoots fire and brimstone, and they have a tail that has the tail of a snake, and anybody within striking distance, they are struck and they are killed. 
Now, these are the tribulation judgments prophesied. Now, as you look at this, it might look like God is overreacting, but I also want you to understand something. When we look at God and people say God's overreacting, we got to remember, God put it in there because he doesn't want people to go through this. We've got to remember that God raised up the church so that people could hear what they need to hear to not go through this. We've got to remember that he said this, I am not willing any should perish in the tribulation judgments. So he doesn't want this any more than he wants one man to go to hell for one second. But because God is just, justice has to be paid. Uh, and so people have sinned and the payment for sin is death and the judgment is coming. And remember, the earth is 6,000 years old. The tribulation is seven years. A thousand-year millennium comes after that, only seven years of tribulation. And remember this, the great tribulation is only three and a half years of the seven years. So basically, 7,000 years where anybody could get saved, anybody can get grace, anybody can get help, and even today people can get help if we'll get them the message. But only three and a half years of judgment, does that sound like God's overreacting? Now, he is not wrong. He is right to do the judgments. And sin is that severe, so the judgments will come. So then we have the seven seals, then the seven trumpets, and now we move to the seven bowls. All right, turn to Revelation chapter 16. It started bad with seven seals, got worse with seven trumpets, and then it ends unbearable with the seven bowl judgments. Now, the imagery again, that seventh bowl is blown, trumpet, and out shoot seven trumpets. Angels are all in a line. God says, angel number one, pour out your wrath on the world that's rejected my son. That's kind of the imagery. Now, the first bowl is in verse 2, Revelation 16. The first went and poured out his vial or bowl upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worship his image. A noisome and grievous sore. Now, we don't know what that sore is, but we do know that in the book of Job, Job had sores on him, and he was in so much pain that he literally took a clay pot, broke it, and scraped those boils off of his body. Now, you've got to be in a lot of pain to cut boils off your body. But whatever this is, it'll be similar to where people will try to cut them out of their bodies and not be able to get them. A noisome and grievous sore. Now then, it goes to the next bowl in verse 3. The second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man. And every soul died in the sea. So all of the fish, all of the sea creatures will die when the water turns to bloody, jelly-like blood. Now then, the earth will smell from the decayed fish. And yes, this is a time of judgment. And then you find the third bowl in verse 4. The third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of water, and they became blood. I picture all the rivers now, not the oceans, but the rivers now all turning to blood, fountains turning to blood. I picture a person going to the bath, 
filling up the bathtub and they're filling it up with water, but instead they fill it up with blood. A child goes to get a drink of water from the faucet and instead of getting water from his faucet, he gets blood. And you can understand how the mental institutions are going to be full. And then there will be the fourth vial in verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given into scorched men with fire. And the heat is so strong, in verse 9, that men blaspheme the name of the God, which hath power over these plagues. And get it, they repented not to give him glory. Now, I don't take any joy in that. They repented not. But I do know that there is a warning here that sometimes as, long, as much as you have something blue written right there in front of your face, and the obvious conclusion is that God is not happy, and the obvious conclusion should be repent, people for some reason still sometimes often, more often than not, choose to do the fool thing and not repent. Now, if there's anyone who is not born again, you see evidences in front of your face as we looked at it this morning. It is not just a little bit in your face, it's very much everywhere in your face. <clears throat> that we are living in the day of Christ's soon return. And when we see the evidences of these things, it's right there in your face. I would encourage you, don't be hard and say, I won't repent. Say, I'll be smart and I will repent. Because the only way for anyone to be delivered is if they repent. But they would not repent. Don't make that mistake yourself. But here's what happens. The sun is so hot, the men are scorched with fire. Now, how does this happen? I personally think, as science says, if the earth were tilted one degree closer to the sun, we'd burn. If the earth was one degree further from the sun, we'd freeze. I personally believe that at this juncture, God pushes the earth one degree closer to the sun. And men walk outside, and it's so hot, they immediately get scorched with fire. But then the next one... I believe God pushes the earth further from the sun, and it gets so cold that people get frostbite. Let's go ahead and read that in verse 10. The fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast, and the kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain because of that darkness. Now, how many of you slept in a dark room last night? Would you raise your hand? Now, did... Was that a painful thing that it was dark so you could sleep, or was that a pleasant thing? A pleasant thing. So why would it say they gnaw their tongues for pain because of the darkness? This is my opinion. This is not Bible. I'm not dogmatic, but I believe that this is what happens. At the first, God pushes the earth one degree closer to the sun, and men get scorched with fire. Here, God pushes the earth one degree further from the sun, and it's so cold and so much more dark that they get frostbite. That's explaining gnaw their tongues for pain because of the darkness, because it's so cold. 
Now then, the sixth vial is opened in verse 12, where God dries up the Euphrates River to prepare for the war of Armageddon. And then the culmination of the tribulation is in verse 17. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. There came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided in three parts. The cities of the nations fell, and Babylon came into the remembrance before God to give to her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath, and every island fled, and the mountains were not found." Now, I was in Haiti when there was an earthquake that registered 8.1 on the Richter scale, and it was a horrible earthquake, lasted about one minute. Uh, excuse me, the island of Guam. And so, after that happened, we went around the city, and we looked to see what all happened, all the damage. There were about two motels that went all the way down. There were some roads that were just torn up. And there was one or two bridges. There were one or two bridges that went down. But most of Guam survived most of that 8.1 on the Richter scale earthquake. Well, this says when this earthquake comes, it is going to be so intense that the cities will not be found. And every building will fall. In Haiti, there was that earthquake in 2010. I went there afterwards and... 230,000 people were killed in that one earthquake. And you know why? Because when the earthquake happened, they all were afraid to know what to do. They ran into the houses instead of out. And the houses came down. Second floor, first floor to the ground. And every body in between was crushed under the weight of the different floors. And just think what's going to happen when every building in the world is rattled by this final earthquake where God begins to wrap up the tribulation period and every mount, every building falls. And it says the mountains were not found. I traveled around Haiti after that earthquake and I went up to Jacmel, one place where we normally go up a mountain. It was no longer there. The earthquake had knocked it down. And the whole mountain was no longer found. And when the earthquake comes at the end, God says every earthquake will do what has been done. Will totally level and crumble the mountains on this planet. Now then God finishes up the tribulation period by raining down hail upon the earth. Notice verse 21. And there fell men upon men a great hail out of heaven every stone about the weight of a talent. 75-pound hailstones. All over the place, falling here, falling there, and then all across the planet, 75-pound, and they will crush huge trees like they're toothpicks. And the only way that many anybody will survive is that God says he's going to shorten the days, Matthew 24, 22, or every human being would die. That's how serious this thing around the corner is going to be. I do realize that when we go up to people and we try to tell them all of these things, they're going to be overwhelmed. 
And I do realize that if we try to say, well, look, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, don't give them the whole thing. But tonight, feel it yourself. Tonight, be motivated. And tonight, purpose that you're going to give your life to the cause of Christ with what we have left, our time we have left. Now, we've got the coming of Christ. We're going to be taken out. The condemnation of sinners. But then we've got the comfort for the saints. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So we're not going to go through it. We don't have to go home and have nightmares that we're going to go through the tribulation period. But I do want to close by just looking at one other thing. Turn to Romans chapter 13 and verse 11. Romans chapter 13 and verse 11. This will be about 60 seconds and we're done. All right, Romans 13 and verse 11. Every Sunday morning, I get a little text from Pastor Tim Berlin. He is in Michigan. And Tim Berlin sent me this two Sundays ago, and it just awakened me again. Romans chapter 13 and verse 11, he prays for me every Sunday morning, and then I remember to pray for him. He's more faithful than I am at it, I'll be honest. But this morning I prayed for Tim, and Tim prays for me every Sunday. And so Tim sent this to me. Romans 13 and verse 11, and that knowing, and we do with all the evidences that we're having around us. No man can buy or sell save he wear a mask. No man can have a job to buy or sell save he has been vaccinated. No man can ride a plane and travel save he's been vaccinated or wears a mask. And all of these things, as they're doing this tightening and tightening and tightening, it's okay. It has to happen. Fight it, but accept it if we lose. Because God is just moving things around like a chess game, getting ready for checkmate, and he's about to send the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice what he says here in verse 11, and that knowing the time, that it, now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Now, how many of you years ago, you got saved like several years ago, and you were faithful, and you're still faithful, you're in your, your seat, and you're still faithful somewhat, but how many of you remember, we used to hear sermons on the second coming, and we'd say, let's go get them. And then we'd hear sermons on hell, and we'd say, let's go get them. And now we hear sermons, and we say, that was good, but it's not changing us. And I would think if there's any church that needs to awaken, it's the American church. Because this country is losing, not winning. And we are losing the souls of our country, not winning the souls in our country. And the only way that it's going to ever change is if somebody somewhere wakes up and says, hey, I'm going to go after the souls of men again. And wouldn't it be great if it started a little bit here tonight? Let's wake up because we are closer to the Lord's return than we were when we first got saved. Let's all stand to our feet, please.